Today we are wrapping up as we lean into the beginning of the holidays. We're wrapping up a series of messages uh, from the month of November where uh, a major theme has been generosity as a witness to our faith. Um, It's a fitting theme for this time of year especially. And as a part of that, uh, as we often do in October or November, and as lots of churches typically do this time of year, it is a season when we are inviting people who call Trinity home to prayerfully consider um, what your giving will be for the coming year in order for us to make ministries possible. So I want to take a moment this morning uh, before I go into the message just to say a word to our guests, both those in person and those online, um, that there may be parts of today's message that don't feel particularly relevant to you because some of the information will be specific to our congregation and where we find ourselves at this moment. Um, And yet, I think the key principles that you'll hear me offer today are ones that are good for all of us and ones that all of us can put into practice. And not only in relation, even for those of us who are a part of Trinity, not only in relation to how we think and pray about our giving as a part of the church, but how we think about generosity as an overarching way of life. Uh, So I want to say a word about the scripture before I read it for you, because context is helpful. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and in what we have as the second letter to the Corinthians, He takes an entire, what for us has been broken up into two chapters, but in other words, a very large section of his letter is specifically about generosity and giving. In fact, it is the lengthiest passage anywhere in the New Testament about this subject, and and what he is doing here is encouraging the people in Corinth, the church that he started, Uh, to join other churches throughout the region in helping provide financial support for the mother church, uh, the church back home in Jerusalem, in order to make sure that needs are met and that ministry happens there. And so you see that the title of today's message is What's in Your Wallet, Uh, a nod to that series of commercials that I think we're probably all familiar with. Um, But in the context of this message, uh, this really is a question that is the one that Paul seems to be asking, and the emphasis is on that word your, because for each one of them and for each one of us, it's different. What's in my wallet isn't exactly the same as what's in any of your wallets, Uh, but all of us have an opportunity to share something of what's in our wallet for the good of the kingdom. And so with that in mind, I invite you to listen in to these few verses from the ninth chapter and see what it might have to say for you and for us. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere, he gave to the needy, 
his righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. This is the word of God for the people of God, and God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, and breathe life into the words of this servant, that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives today. Amen. In the year 2007, Bishop Robert Schnazy of the United Methodist Church wrote a book entitled The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. And the five practices that he lifted up were radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission service, and extravagant generosity. Practice those five things in any church context, and God will show up and do some amazing things, I believe. Three years later, he wrote a follow-up to that book that was written for individuals, households, to think about these practices, and that one was entitled, Five Practices for Fruitful Living. In both of these books and in this assessment of what is most important for healthy discipleship, Notice that he connects generosity to our witness of faith as one of the pieces of evidence, one of the fruits, if you will, that we are living out our callings as followers of Jesus. And I love the way he offers an interesting twist on the use of the word extravagant. We often kind of hear that word used in terms of a lifestyle and the way somebody lives, but, but Schnazy flips that, and instead of talking about extravagant living, he invites us to think about what extravagant giving looks like. Now, there are a number of biblical precedents for this idea, of course. Just last week, Catherine shared the story of the widow who even though in amount what she had to offer was small, she offered it all as an extravagant gift of generosity. And then there's the story of the woman who comes and pours an entire jar of expensive ointment on Jesus' feet as a sign of worship and offering to him. And then, of course, there's the story of the boy who shows up at the large gathering where Jesus is preaching, and there's no food and he offers what he has, his entire lunch basket, as an extravagant expression of, of generosity to Jesus. Today, I want to offer four ideas or assertions that might help us go deeper in our practice of generosity as a way of going deeper in our faith. The first is, it's about perspective. In thinking about generosity, a good place for us to start is with the question, whose is it anyway? Now, the temptation for us, and I think this is especially the case in American culture, 
is to consider that whatever we have is something that we have earned through our hard work, through our effort, and therefore we are entitled to do with it as we please. Scripture offers a very different idea, though. As just one example, at the beginning of the 24th Psalm, we hear this, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Notice that even we ourselves are a part of God's generosity, that we are a part of what God has created and made possible. And so we then, rather than seeing ourselves as owners, are invited to see ourselves as stewards, as caretakers, as trustees, if you will, of all that is God's. And God has entrusted resources to each of us, not just for our own use, but so that we can participate in making the kingdom on earth look more like heaven. It's about perspective. It's also about sacrifice. Because here's the thing, even if we start with the right perspective, it doesn't guarantee that we will always make the right choices. We are human beings, we are imperfect, and we have been given the gift of free will. God invests in us the power to make important decisions, including how we use our money. And so on a day-to-day basis, we have the opportunity to make choices that are either selfish or self-giving. And I like the word self-giving better than the word selfless because I think as we think about how we use our resources, we are a part, caring for ourselves is a part of that. But when we are self-giving, then we are offering ourselves and what we have for the good of others. So I wanna say this, sacrifice is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word, it's not an ugly word, it's not a harmful word. Sacrifice is a good and healthy thing for us. It is a sign that we care deeply about something. You all know this, you make sacrifices for things that matter. Those of you who are parents and have been parents, you make sacrifices for your children, you make sacrifices for your spouse and for the good of your marriages and your relationships. Sacrifice is a sign that we care deeply and so we invest in ways that add meaning and purpose to our lives and bless the lives of others. Sacrifice is about adjusting priorities. It's about shifting so that we can give attention to the things that should and need to matter the most. Mike Slaughter wrote a book several years ago entitled Shiny Gods, Finding Freedom from Things That Distract Us. And in that book, he tells his, his own journey, a little bit about his own journey of faith and talks about how there was a point in time when he decided that he was going to say yes to God and he was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and he joined the church and he was baptized. But he said, Not everything happened all at once just because he said yes at that moment. In fact, he says, I wasn't converted in my wallet until seven years later. It was a seven-year journey for him until he reached the point where he allowed God to be a part 
of the ways in which he thought about his relationship to his money. Last week, Catherine shared some statistics on generosity, and maybe you were surprised like I was to hear that as people's income go, goes up, the percentage of that income which they give away actually goes down, which is a remarkably strange statistic in my mind, because logically we would think that as we have more, we have the capacity to give more, and even a larger percentage, because there is more from which to consider what we have to give. This points to a fundamental idea for me that what we have when it comes to generosity is not primarily a giving issue. What we have is a spending issue. And the more we have, the more we tend to spend. And we tend to spend first, and then, as the Scripture passage said last week, out of our spare change, give something that is left over. This idea and those statistics remind me of the story about a man who came to visit his pastor one day very troubled, and and the pastor invited him in, and he said, Pastor, I'm just having a really hard time. When my household income was annually $30,000, I was tithing. I was giving the first tenth of everything, and I found it very easy to do, and I gladly did that. And he said, over the years, my income has grown, and and now that it's $300,000, a tenth of that just sounds like a whole lot of money, and I'm having trouble wrapping my head around how to do that. The pastor listened to him, and then he said, would you like for me to pray with you about that? And the man said, yes, 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 pastor, please do that. And so he invited him to bow his head, and they did, and they prayed, and the pastor said, Lord, please adjust this man's income back down to a level where tithing will no longer be a burden for him. (laughs) It's about adjusting our priorities. It's about what comes first. And for many of us, I will say that it is also about living below our means. Now, we often hear the advice as being soundly financial to live within our means, and certainly we should at least be doing that. And for some, that is all that's possible. But I would hazard a guess that for many of us, the better guidance is for us to live below our means because we have the capacity to do so. And when we live below our means, we are set free to live more open-handedly. If we only live within our means, then we are still always pushing up against the edge of what we have and the edge of our resources. But to live below our means is to get into a very different mindset. If our mindset is simply to live within, then for many of us, we will never reach our potential as generous givers. Bishop Robert Schnazy, in talking about this idea of extravagant generosity, offers a really helpful thing for us to consider. He says, name one person you admire and respect because of all they keep for themselves. Can't do it, right? The people who inspire us, the people who motivate us, 
who encourage us are the ones who we see living very generously with what they have. It's about perspective. It's about sacrifice. It's also about proportion. And there's a wonderful verse in the eighth chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul focuses in on this idea. Take a look at this verse. A gift is appreciated because of what a person can afford, not because of what that person can't afford, if it's apparent that it is done willingly. Another translation says that a gift is meant to be given out of what we have, not what we do not have. That's the beauty of proportional giving. For each of us, it may be different in terms of the amount but we can think proportionally about how we give in relation to all the resources that we have. And this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible, proportional giving. Most often it's connected to the idea of the tithe or a giving of 10%. But even in those places in Scripture where that's not the benchmark, we are the thing that is steady throughout is an encouragement to offer our best. I want to share with you a snapshot Uh, one here and one a little bit later in the message, of congregational giving here at Trinity. And so if we can have that slide. Now, there is something really beautiful, a story that is beautifully told um, through this slide, I believe. This is giving for this current year so far across our congregation to support the ongoing ministries of the church. And each one of those bars represents a decade, all right? So the, the first one um, is folks who are under 30, and the last one is folks who are over 90. I want you to look at the, at the ones for the folks who are between 70 and 79 and between 80 and 89. And what, what you all need to know and celebrate with me is that in those two bars, we see folks not only who in this year are giving through extraordinary generosity, but who some of them for 20, 30, 40 years have been blessing the church with their offerings that help support ministries that make a difference, not only for us here, but for people in this community and in the world and for those who come behind us. What an incredible witness to faith that these persons are offering also in this graph. I think for any of us who haven't yet reached that decade of 70s, there is an encouragement and a challenge for us to be the ones who come behind and who offer ourselves fully, who raise our proportion, who raise our bar to participate in what God still wants to do through this church for years and for generations to come. When we all give generously out of what we have, not out of what we don't have, but what we have, it is amazing what we can do together. Finally, it is about joy. It is about the joy that we experience when we do just that. You know, the most joyful people I know are the ones who are also the most generous. Have you all noticed that about people you know? 
There's just a lightness and a joy to them. I remember Jonathan and Sherry, a young couple who were in their 20s, um, who were a part of the church that we started. In the very first year, we were starting a church down in Sarasota, Bradenton, Florida. And, um, and they came and started attending worship. They were both young professionals making great incomes. And when they first started worshiping with us, they were what I would describe as tippers. They offered a tip each week, right, for coming to worship. And then they got involved in disciple Bible study. And they started really listening to what God had in mind for how they might orient their whole lives out of a sense of their faith. And one day they came in and they were so excited to have a conversation with Catherine and I to tell us that they had made the decision that from that day forward, they had made the decision to become tithers. They were going to start by giving 10% first because they had plenty left over to do whatever else they might want to be able to do. It was a moment for them and, and there, was, there was this joy that just bubbled up and continued to be seen in the way they lived their lives from that time forward. The most joyful people I know are the ones who are also the most generous. I want you to know, and many of you know this already without me telling you, there are a lot of fantastic things that are happening these days through this church. And so I wanted to take a moment and share just a little of the joy of what generosity is making possible by giving you a little bit of a window. Pictures are powerful things, so would you take a moment with me and just look at these images from this year and some of the things that have been happening in ministry here. Have a look. things that catches my attention when I look at those images and others is all the smiles, the joy of learning and growing together, of being in ministry together, and the lives that are being impacted because of it. It's about perspective. It's about sacrifice. It's about proportion. And it's about joy. And in order for it all to happen, it takes commitment. 
Extravagant generosity doesn't happen haphazardly. It requires intentionality. Mike Slaughter, in talking about that day when he made the decision to let God be a part of the decisions related to his wallet, says on that day when he made that choice, he opened up his Bible and he wrote on the inside cover, no rationalizations, no excuses. He would put God first in all things, including how he considered his use of money. Psalm 37 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in God and God will act. Friends, there are tremendous opportunities ahead for us as a church. And it will take generous commitment to realize them. I want to show you one more congregational giving slide. This one is by groupings of amount. And so everybody who has given anything to support the ministries of Trinity is captured somewhere in this chart. And you see on the left, there are some households who have given more than $20,000 this year to make ministry happen. And then you see different groupings. And on the far right, you see folks who have given somewhere between one and $999 this year. Now, as I look at this graph, a couple of things come to mind for me. One is that for some, wherever they are in this graph is a representation of doing their very best, of offering their very best out of what has been entrusted to them. And for many of us, as we look at this graph, there is an opportunity for us to think about how we might grow how we might do better. And so I would ask you as you look at it to to reflect on these three questions. Where do you find yourself now on this graph? Where would you like to be? And where would you be if sacrifice met joy and you experienced and participated in extravagant generosity? In your bulletins this morning, there are pledge cards that will also go out with a letter this week to folks who are actively participating in the life of the church, an invitation for you to commit to how you will participate in the coming year. I invite you to use the prayer that is on that card as a way to help guide your reflection in the coming week. For every one of us, our response to that prayer is deeply personal. It is how we listen and pay attention to the Spirit wanting to talk with us about our relationship to our money. But I invite you to reflect on this question, this prayer with me in the coming week. Generous and loving God, what would you have me pledge to support your work through Trinity in the coming year. Will you pray with me? Oh God, may we each make that prayer our prayer this week so that we can pay attention to your will and your way. We thank you for being the original giver, the one who created all things that are 
and in your goodness have invited us to participate in making our world, making your world, all that it is meant to be for the sake of the kingdom. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.